did you get that? There's a lot of big words there. But it's a determination that we will make to spin this and with the idea that there's going to be a positive experience come from all of this. Um, many of you know, uh, have known Larry and Ann Davis. They're kind of long-time church members that we've had for years. And they were kind of the people that were little, they were just really kind of quiet people. Um, they enjoyed being in church and fellowshipping. They didn't have a whole lot of friends. Um, but yet, those who knew them really, really enjoyed being around them. Larry passed away. Uh, yeah, it was about, what, two months ago, roughly? Okay. Um, Larry had been dealing with cancer for a number of years. And he finally went home to be with the Lord. I talked to Anne a couple of times since then, and she said a couple of things I thought was really, really interesting. During the time that Larry was passing away, he knew he was going home to, to glory. He knew that he was going to see Christ. And there was just this affirming tone of voice that Anne had. You see... Larry had a phrase that he would use periodically during this time of passing away. He would say this, There are better days coming. Mm. And I thought to myself, the words of a person whose life is coming to a close are probably best listened to. To hear what Larry had to say, and he said, you know, there's a time and a place that's going to be better than this. And so we're going to be looking at the scripture this morning. The first point that we're going to see, there's only like three points of this message today, is the countenance of God. Now the countenance, a person's countenance is what is noticed, what is expressed in a person's personality by a physical appearance or a presentation. So the countenance of God, it can be taken out of Psalm 36, uh, 5 through 6. And so as uh, Alice read this morning, there's really four things that really stand out. And the writer of this particular psalm talked about extremes. This is the, to the end point, the, the extreme, the immenseness of God, the totality of Him, which he says that the loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens, to the stars, he says, and the fullness of the uh, reaches to the skies. And that would be like standing, if we would, that on the coast of Washington, maybe at Westport or Claylock, and the sun is going down, and as far as you can see, it's just an expanse. And, and the writer talks about how his faithfulness is just beyond what we can even focus. He goes on about the righteousness is like mountains. We've seen the mountains and the glory. And also the judgments are like the deep, deepest sea. But I want to remind us, loving kindness is the unending, never failing, deep, eternal love. It's the Hebrew word hesed, which means the grace of God. And so we see this loving kindness of kindness and of sacrifice and of covenant. We talk about His faithfulness. That's his loyalty and his relationships and the promises that he has made toward us. Talks about his righteousness, God's virtue, honesty, integrity, and purity, and his judgments. Let me share with you today, and also as we are reminded, that God is the determinator of destinies, of thoughts, motivations, truth, and falsehood. He is the one who decides what is right and what is wrong. God is always giving in these four elements to the utmost, to the max, to the extreme. There can be no measure beyond who God is. To the heavens, to the skies, to the mountains, and to the deep. He takes care of us. But you know, we can display the same character. You see, we have the image of God in us. 
these qualities that the psalmist writes about can be embraced. Loving kindness and forgiveness and faithfulness and righteousness and judgments. But listen, there can be a time in which our attitude is all wrong. And we can turn those things around, especially a time in which we struggle. Because it says that, that we, ha- we can have these, these qualities that the opposite. So the loving kindness, we could embrace impatience. Faithfulness, we could embrace doubt. In terms of righteousness, we could embrace temptation or sin. Or even in the time of judgments, we may have our own personal biases that would take us into seeing what is really true and what is really real. You see, the Bible tells us that God is working in us to transform us to the image of His Son. You know, it's funny about life, we have oftentimes privileged opportunities that we take for granted. While I was pastoring in Spokane, our church also employed a daycare. And when I, when I went to pastor the church, I felt very compelled to every week have chapel with these children. Their teachers would come, the children would come, and they're between the ages of about four and on up to early elementary. Cute little kids. There would be anymore from 25 to 45 of these little guys. It was a wonderful time. And I got to talk to them about Jesus. And I remember one particular chapel, it was on a Wednesday, and it was about 10.30 or so in the morning, and the kids were all gathered around, and I would sit on the platform, and they would sit on the floor in front, and i just get to tell them about Christ. I told them about the little boy who had five loaves and two fish, or two fish and five loaves. Was it five loaves and two fish? <laughs> you don't know. Yeah, five loaves and two fish. Thank you. This is a cooperative effort. Work with me here. <laughs> So anyway, I was telling them how this little boy gave his lunch to Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus just, out of the air, just brought this food and fed 5,000 people. It's just amazing. He kept giving, and he kept giving, and he kept giving, and I was just really making a big drama for these kids, and I noticed this one little girl, she was just captivated by the story. She was just looking at me and just had this smile on her face, like she got it, she got it. And so at the end of the day, I had to go down to the daycare because I had to talk to them about some administrative things. This little girl's mom came in to pick her up. Down the long hall, and as I'm talking to the gal behind the desk, and this little girl goes, Excuse me? Excuse me? And I turn around and she goes, Goodbye, Jesus! (laughs) And I thought to myself, What greater compliment could we ever have is when when people see Jesus in us, right? Wow. Now this last part of this psalm, we see this. Thou, O Lord, Thou preserves man and beast. God has made a promise to take care of all of us. In process, He's making us more and more like Jesus. So we see now point two, the continuance of our time. And as Alice read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's worth looking at it again. Now let me read you some phrases and ask you a question. God loves those who help themselves. (laughs) Cleanliness is next to godliness. To thine own self be true. Charity begins at home. And this too will pass. 
Let me ask you a question. How many of those statements are actually Bible verses? Not one. Not one. I know this this idea, this too, this too will pass. There's only a couple of references in the scripture that talks about the passing of time and the circumstances we live. And this is one of them, as we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Bible tells us, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For light and moment, or momentary light affliction is producing for us an internal weight of glory, marking on all, our, all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This sounds like a lot of talk, doesn't it? It's amazing. But you know, we're not going to lose heart. We're not going to lose the power. We're not going to lose the significance. We're not going to lose the influence of God. Now Paul says some things that's very interesting. He says that the outer man is decaying. I guess Paul wasn't much to look at. We think about the Apostle Paul, and he must have been a mighty man of stature and of strength. But look at what the Bible has to say. Now, the Corinthians were very critical of Paul. The church was critical of the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 10.10, it shares this. Are we there, Jim? Yes. 2 Corinthians 10.10. Okay. For they say, Paul's writing about what the Corinthians are saying about him. And they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive, and his speech is contemptible. It's not worth listening to. So we have an idea, a visual of what this guy must have looked like. Now we have another statement in the book of Galatians, where Paul is talking to the churches of Galatia about his physical appearance. He says this, and that which was a trial to you in my body, bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. So we're looking at Paul. Something is different about him. He has something to say about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 11 through 11. For we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. So listen to what he says. Now remember his physical appearance. It's hard to see through glasses, light bulbs, and a mask. <laughs> he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be made manifest in our body. Now, looking at verse 11, he goes on. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Christ, for Jesus' sake, and the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, let me jump over to chapter 11, verse 23 and see what the Bible says about this. So Paul, before we go there, now Paul has something about it. He knows he looks physically different. He knows that he has been altered. He says we've been crushed, we've been pressed, we've been squished, we've been facing all sorts of difficulties and challenges. We understand. He says, I understand that. Well, how did he get there? 
11.23 tells us this. He's telling the, the church, are they, they're talking about leaders in the church, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I follow more so in labors, imprisonments, in beaten times without number of dangers of death. Five times I've received the, from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among the brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through the sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there's a daily pressure upon me for concern of all the churches. So we can see here, and you and I would probably not debate this, that Paul was a beaten up guy. He had been through a lot. So much so when people look at him, it's kind of like, well, who is this dude? He's scarred, he's wounded, he's hurt, he's tired. But he tells us here that he's being renewed. Now the question I have to ask for us today is this. Though Paul has wounds and scars in his life because of the ministry and the oppression and the difficulties he's faced. But I have a question. What kind of wounds do we bear? What kind of scars are we carrying? What are we looking at our life all about now? What about the times that we do have frustrations? What about the times that we have faced disappointment and anger and exhaustion and loss and pain? We live in hard times, and let's be serious about this, in that we need to know where we are that we can produce an, op uh, an optimistic view of what we can and will and be. Did Paul say these things so that they would feel sorry for him? Did Paul say these things because he felt sorry for himself? He says, no, because I'm being renewed. That's what he says in uh, chapter 4. He tells us, that though the outer man is decaying, look at him, he's broken, he's scarred, he's wounded. But he says the inner man is being renewed. We have hope. We can know that God is at work in our lives. Philippians says that he will will and work for his good pleasure. Now listen, by faith, our lives today, it doesn't matter what our governor says. It doesn't matter whether we like it or not, how we're living. We have to know that God is at work. Amen. He's always at work. So we can be optimistic that He will accomplish His goals and His purpose in our lives by renewing us. Amen. Now, I get, a, I get a kick out of what he said. I appreciate Paul when he says... That the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. He said, what we're experiencing now is momentary. It's the tempest in the teacup. Is how he looks at this. God has eternity on his mind. Light afflictions. Theospis is the, is the Greek word. It means trouble. It means pressure. It means momentary. Well, we know who will stand beside us during these challenges. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses uh, 3, 4, and 5. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of uh, Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Listen. Who comforts us in all afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So is he, he's saying this. Though we're facing affliction, and though we're facing these pressures, the God of all comfort will comfort us, not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. Who can come alongside and understand the relationship that we have with one another, that we can stand with each other? So it's during these times we truly find out who our friends are. So call people. Love people. Tell them that there's a time to be optimistic, because we are people of hope. Comfort one another. Don't sit and wait for the phone to ring. Well, they don't love me. They don't. They never call. Well, let me ask you a question. When was the last time we called them? Write a note. <coughs> Write an email. Write a text. Tell them who's going to comfort them besides you. Who needs to hear from you today? So we will not waste the pain because we know who will stand beside us. We will not waste the pain because we will know that we will understand God more significantly. So back to 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So don't look at the outside. Don't look at the outside. So I wrote some verses down and I forgot why I did that. <laughs> Romans 8. You ready? You're supposed to say yes, Pastor Craig. Thank you, Glenn. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. We can't compare what we're experiencing now with what we will be knowing later. It's not the framework. And in fact, this is a glorious verse indeed. I've been so looking forward to sharing this with you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He says this, He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justified. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Now, are you ready? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Paul clarifies, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. This beat-up, detestable, and despised young man, wounded, scarred, is standing up and he's saying, we can conquer because of Christ. 
He says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things past, nor things present, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing like the coronavirus shall be ever able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. The coronavirus is stuck in. Italics is mine. So we have this wonderful event. Now, a couple of things and we're going to close. Hebrews 12. This comes on the heels of a profound chapter of Hebrews 11 that talks about those who stepped out in faith and trust God in these insurmountable odds against them. That life was difficult and challenges were hard. They had to make choices that would be determining the destiny of their life, whether they'll glorify God or not. And they took stands and went which people did not. And they lived lives of sacrifice and commitment. And so the writer of Hebrews says this, since we have all these people surrounding us, not physically, their testimonies of their lives will demonstrate to their faithfulness. He says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer tells us this. Anything that hinders you from following Christ, you set it aside. You kick it off. You push it away. And the sin that so easily entangles us. Notice it didn't say sins. It said sin. What is the writer saying here? What is the sin that easily entangles us? It's a sin of disbelief. That God doesn't care. That God is aloof. That God doesn't have a plan. That God won't see you through this. That is sin. That is sin. Didn't we just read a section of scripture in regard to the righteousness and the faithfulness and the loyalty of God found in Psalm 36? He tells us who he is. And yet we're taught that we are to fix our eyes upon Christ. Fix our eyes. Let me tell you about Lawrence. Let me tell you Because you know during these times that we're facing, though we're not all together as a church family, but I appreciate us. There's only like 20 of us in this room. And you know what's really cool about this? Because I don't have to preach to you. You love me, I love you, and you know that. And I can just talk to you. And that's a pretty cool thing. In a time, in my experience, oftentimes I spend more time behind that telling people how to think rather than sitting here and just telling you about stuff. Lawrence. Lawrence Rawls, he was a chairman of the deacons in Evergreen Baptist Church in Cashman. 
Lawrence was a good guy. He and I struck up a friendship. He and I used to go deer hunting together. Lawrence sent away and he ordered an M1 World War II Springfield rifle. It was an amazing rifle. Um, it, it was calibered for a 30 6 if you're concerned about what that caliber was. Um, it had open sights on it. So we were out at a, a range. The, the rifle was brand new. He had to clean it all up so he could fire this thing. And so um, we were out there, and I had my little 308. We were shooting 100 yards and 200 yards and 250 yards out. So we, we shot for a while, and then, you know, um, Lawrence got to be a pretty good shot at that 30-06. And then we, you know, he shot up a couple boxes of shells, and, and uh, it was time to go, so we left. And then Lawrence called me later that week and said, you want to go out to the range again? And I said, sure. And so, anyway, we were shooting at these targets that are out there a couple hundred yards, and he said, see, see up on the hill, Craig, did you see that, that orange, reddish, Little square, and I'm going barely. <laughs> he said that is a steel plate. He says it's about half the size of a refrigerator door, and it's out there about 750 yards. That's a long ways. <laughs> a long ways. <clears throat> So this Springfield M1 rifle that he had, it had adjustable rear sight. And Lawrence pulled that sight up and adjusted it for the distance. And I thought, there's no way in the Lord's green earth that he's going to hit that plate at 750 yards. He put his elbows down. He on the ground. And he put a shell on the chamber. And he sat there, and I watched him. And I'm thinking, no way. He squeezed off the shot. Pow. And I went, and he goes, wait. Pow. <laughs> <laughs> he hit it. I couldn't believe it. Open sight, 750 yards away. Now, the reason why I'm telling you is just not a, an old deacon named Lawrence, but I'm telling you that target that we are looking at in regard to our challenges right now, it's a long ways away. But let me share with you the shots that fire. We'll just wait for the pain. <laughs> Because Jesus always hits the target. Amen. Even though you can't see it. So I want to encourage you today. We can be optimistic. Dan, can I ask you to show that uh, definition of optimism one more time? In case you want to read that. Because that kind of sets the whole context of what we talked about right now. You see, it's a choice. Here we go. Forget that. Here it is. Optimism. Being inclined to apply favorable understanding to events and circumstances with the anticipation of a positive outcome. 
hear it? Pain. <laughs> so who wants to close us in prayer? Bill, would you please?